My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Here we go. All right. If you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Luke. Not, don't go to Luke. Sorry, I was talking to Luke. Um, <clears throat> what are we going to open up with this morning? Do you know? Mark chapter 3. Yeah. And what, do we, what am I going to ask? You got it. Yes, that's exactly right. Good job. So this is the same question. This is the same question. What is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? I have my water bottle. It's open book. It's okay to look back. Yes, ma'am. He continues to um, show me some of the natures that he's opened my life. Um, So every week is kind of a continual, like, more light shed, more intensity, more like drawing closer. Um, And he's also been showing me some of the people in my life who are um, very similar to paralytic, or to the many that he brought. Excellent. Convicting me of my role that I should be playing. Wonderful. Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. So this is something that the Holy Spirit will do uh, for the rest uh, of our natural born lives. (laughs) Yes, uh, will convict of sin and draw us to repentance. uh, And we'll do that through the Word of God, um, which is yet one more reason why we need to be uh, in the Scriptures uh, regularly. So anybody else? What is God doing in you? Yes, Albert. Like wanted to bomb the Romans, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I don't know, this is, I've thought a lot about that since we covered that and just our there there was a, yeah, there was like a, a time in churches where the, the cool thing was or the trendy thing was to have groups for everybody. Mm-hmm. They talked about singles groups here, young marrieds here, you know, ages twenty to twenty five and all yep. these divisions and their traditional services, all this stuff. And which is fine that you can meet people, but this shows that we all have a commonality in Christ. That's right. We really have to work together. We have one thing in common. Yes. Some of us might have like two and a half, but we all have one. (laughs) Right. And and, and the older people and the younger people, vice versa. Yep. And all these things work together. Who would have thought as a body? Right. And and so I really thought a lot about, you know, kind of the the cohesiveness of all these different personalities that come together. Because yep. I played, you know, my music background playing in bands, to pull five people together <laughs> and for them to get along on a bus <laughs> and, and play all this stuff. It, yeah. It's almost impossible yeah. for a period of time. And the fact that we can pull... Well, they didn't, right? So, I mean, we read the Gospels, so they didn't all get along all the time. But, you know, sure, it was, yeah. Sure. But, the, but, the, but the church is a miracle in itself that you can pull It is, together. yes. You know, 1,300 people across three campuses. 
Amen. Amen. It is, it is. Yes. You like that? That may come up in today's lesson. We'll see. All right, so if you're in Mark chapter 3, let's read Mark chapter 3. Dave, I'm loving it. I'm loving it every time. Flawless. It's fantastic. So I don't, uh, for those of you that are wondering, I don't watch the screen change. I can see the light difference behind me. So, yes, we finally found a clicker that works. Thank you, Jesus, right? And Amazon, oh. I have something for that. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, I probably blinded everybody on YouTube. I apologize. That's the... All right, so let's start in Mark chapter 3. So if you're uh, joining us new, uh, we have already covered uh, the introduction to Jesus, his baptism, his temptation, uh, the beginning of his ministry, the calling of his first few disciples, and then this just tear of healing people. Uh, he calls other disciples. Uh, he, I keep trying to find a, a unique word each week for what he's doing to the Pharisees, uh, toying with them at times. Um, and then uh, the calling of the 12 apostles uh, was the thing that we covered through the end of last week. So let's read all of Mark chapter 3, and then we'll start around verse 20, and uh, we'll go from there. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. 
And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. About one week out of ten, I get all the words right. I think I did. It's harder than it seems just to read something out loud and get the words right. But I am thankful that God gives us lots of opportunities. So, uh, first question on your handout is... uh, Are there any literary or structural observations? I haven't focused too much on this because generally as we go through Mark, uh, we're going to be introduced to a few new things. Uh, But this is narrative basically from start to finish. So this is the structural observations. Uh, But today we're introduced to, watch me for just a sec, family. Okay. Uh, Parables is the first time it shows up. And blasphemy, which is undoubtedly what most of you are most interested in out of this text, because everybody has a billion questions about it, and hopefully we'll make it pretty simple um, as we get to it. So uh, today's text starts with verse 20, so we've just listed the 12 apostles, we finished that last week. Uh, So if on your handout, yes, I acknowledge it has seven pages to it today, but the last one is intended for you to tear off, cut out the graphic, and put in the back of your small copy of Mark, because that is a, that is a teaching resource that we're going to talk about in just a second. So as you, as you uh, look at the handout, it's really only a six-page handout with an additional supplement. <clears throat> so we'll call it that way, right? <clears throat> so there's that. What's that? <laughs> That's right. So we've got uh, the two verses here, 20 and 21, and then we'll get into the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit section. So verse 20, so then he went home. Uh, Does it say to his home? No, he said he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. All right. Is there enough room in this, uh, is there enough space in this room for everybody to eat comfortably right now? Yeah. So... Yeah, okay. I was like, I kind of feel like there is, but all right. Yes, in this space right here, we can eat comfortably. Um, I probably should have mentioned this beforehand, but the food that is over there on the table, that is not for us this morning. So if you feel like you radically need a hot dog bun for some reason, like don't. It'd be awkward. But uh, but there was not enough room in this house, right? There was not enough room in this house so that they could even eat. Now, did they eat the same way we eat at this point in time? No, what was different? Yeah, they reclined, right? Which is still, I'm just like, eh, it makes my stomach hurt. But okay, whatever. I'm not going to judge a little bit. Um, but there wasn't enough space even to eat. So this is a very crowded space. I just want to get, get this setting correct here. 
And then we come to this really spectacularly awkward phrase. So it says, verse 21, we'll spend just a minute here. And when his, this is the Greek word autos, it just means self, right? Um, and, then, and then I've highlighted the word family, all right? And then I put something in blue. So I want you to flip over to the, the handout that I showed you in the back. And we'll walk through this for just a second. So I found a version of this several years ago that looked like somebody made it in paint. Remember Microsoft Paint? Right? This is a little nicer version. So I'm going with this one. I like this one a little bit better. It's got a couple of things on it too. Um, so there's, a, there's, as you know, there's lots and lots and lots of Bible resources in the world. One of them that's really helpful is a manual of grammar of the Greek New Testament um, from uh, Dana and Manti. And they're just, it's a fantastic little resource. If, you, if you're interested in learning more about Greek, it's a, it's a really helpful resource. And they have a version of this that is much simplified versus this version. But these are all the prepositions in Koine Greek. So, yes, we're going to talk about grammar for just a minute. So, anybody remember what a preposition is? Yeah. What is a preposition? Yes. Um, a preposition is like a word of um, information that actually sentence that um, informs you like where it's going or what, what it's doing, not like a verb or a Yes. Um, past tense. That was pretty dang good. Absolutely. It, it tells you. <laughs> what it's doing or where it's going. They're very, I'll give you a phrase, it's very directionally oriented, right? So think through a couple of the prepositions. Um, there's uh, into, there's before, there's toward, there's upon, there's over, there's up, there's in, uh, there's with, there's through, there's under, there's down, there's together with, there's against, out of, beside, uh, from. So they, they tell you what direction the action is going, Okay. So I want to make sure we understand what this particular preposition is. It says, and when his, that's the Greek word autos, not a preposition, that means self. The next word, the word that is translated in the ESV as family, is the word uh, para. Has anybody seen para? Where's para? Right here, it's beside. You see how this has no arrow around it? It's just next to the circle. So the circle is the object of what we are talking about. So the translation is, and self near heard. Exactly. <clears throat> That's why we don't translate it that way, because it's exceedingly awful. Right? This is really, really awkward. So most translations will have some version of, and when his family, it literally means, um, and the close to him. So if he's at home, and we're talking about people who are crowding around him, who are those likely to be? Disciples or brothers and sisters, right? Because we know he had several. Right? We know he had plural brothers and plural sisters, so that's a lot. Could be family, might just be other people. This is a, uh, it's one of the most difficult verses in all of Mark to actually translate that particular word for family, because it just means those that are near. 
So you, you may have heard a preacher say at some point, uh, Jesus didn't even win over his whole family until after the resurrection. That is a true statement. I would not use this particular verse as the definitive closed-fisted proof of that particular concept. I would use Acts where it talks about his brothers and sisters coming to, coming to faith in him. So that there was something that there wasn't, and then there was something that there was. This might be a demonstration of that, but I'm going to be as, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to disjoint my thumb here in my open-handedness on how to interpret this word, because it is really, really challenging. So that's one issue. The other issue is that, remember when we talked about variants? Textual variants, where we have one manuscript that uses one word and one manuscript that uses a very similar word? There's multiple variants on this particular part of this verse. And they all center around this idea that people are near and people are close. So we've got multiple variants and words that are very difficult to translate. I'm not going to hold this with closed fists. Does this make sense? Everybody with me on this one? Okay. But this type of a thing, this type of a resource, helps us to know where we are in relation to the action. So let's keep going. We'll come back to that in a second. Verse 21, and when his family, that's why I put family in quotation marks up at the top. When his family, when those near to him uh, heard it, when they heard what? When they heard what? Yeah. When they heard where he was and it was crowded, right? They went where? Out. To what? Okay. They went where? Out. This is why I don't think it's family. Because if his family was in the house with him, they wouldn't need to do what? Go out. This make sense? Okay. There we go. Again, very open-handed on this, but I don't think it's his family. You with me now, Albert? I told you this was complicated. So here's the other thing. A lot of translators will say, well, he talks about his family later on in chapter 3. And they'll say, well, obviously this gives the context of who's with him. And my problem with this is verse 31 says, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent and called to him. That is not in the house with him. These are different things. So, all right. So when those who were with him heard it, they went out to seize or retain now, this is the Greek word krateo. This is, uh, this is, you have to be strong to do this. This is not a, um, hey, Luke, come here for a sec, bud. All right, come on up, 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 come on up. Awesome. That was not krateo at all. I am recently recovered from back surgery. I am not going to krateo you. All right, I might injure myself. But imagine, uh, hey, uh, Jay, come up for a sec. Now, <laughs> the look on his face. <laughs> we are not injuring the boy, okay? Never. He is going to serve the Lord in beautiful ways one day. And we are not going to hurt him, okay? I appreciate your comment. But you are going, I, I need you to curtail him and put him back in his chair. So seize him and go put him in his chair. Can you do that for me? I did. Excellent. Great. You ready? Yep. Oh. Stop right there. Does Luke... Whoa, don't hit him on the pulpit. That'd be bad. Does Luke... 
does Luke have any control over what's going on right now? All right, go finish curtailing. There you go. Please don't throw up. Okay, great. Thank you, sir. And I do believe what I just said about you. Okay? All right, so they went out to seize him. All right, I want you to get the idea here. This is not a, oh, we're going to lead him by the hand and take him. No, 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 no. They're going to seize him. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for being strong enough to do that. Thanks for not curtailing me. I appreciate that too. (laughs) They went out to seize him for they were saying, and had been saying, this is the imperfect, he is out of his mind, which is a really weird way to translate this word too, uh, because it, it literally means... Uh, to put out of his wits, to astound, to become astounded, uh, to be insane. And now, now we've seen this word a couple of times already, or actually once already in Mark. So look at uh, Mark 2.12. I want to show you how Mark uses it everywhere else in Mark. So this is after Jesus heals the paralytic. And uh, he, this is the paralytic in verse 12, rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. What are, where is the word uh, insane there? Amazed, right? They were just like, mind blown. Things are, things are not, like this does not fit into my understanding of the universe. This makes sense? Something is outside the radical norm that we are all used to. Because nobody does stuff like this. <laughs> all right, flip over to Mark 5.42. Mark 5.42, because 3.21 is the verse that we're actually in. So 5.42. So this is uh, Jesus healing uh, again. Um, so he heals a woman, he heals Jairus' daughter. Uh, in 41, he says, uh, little girl, I say to you, arise in 42. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. This idea of overcome with amazement. All right. Same word here for, uh, what's translated out of his mind or insane in 321. Uh, and then let's look at 651. Some of you have figured out where we're going. Good. The highlights are what we're going to talk about. So this is uh, Jesus walking on the water. Um, Which is interesting because the the Scripture doesn't use this word for amazement about Him walking on the water. Um, It does, however. uh, uh, And when He got, verse 51, And when He got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. So how does Mark, this is where I'm at, Albert. Mark uses this word pretty differently in the other three places for how it's translated into English here in verse 21. For they were saying, it makes no sense to say he was utterly astounded, right? All right, so let's talk about definitions of words. Definitions of words have more than one part. Many words mean more than one thing. Sometimes they are very similar in meaning. Sometimes they are pretty different in meaning. There is one definition that's used three times in Mark that means your mind is blown. There is also a definition uh, that is used in Mark that means um, you're crazy. Okay? And if you think about it, having a blown mind and a crazy mind, 
might not be that far apart. Right? Like if you just put them on a continuum, they might be closer than you think. Right? So, so people who were around him thought he was what? Crazy. Which illustrates a very interesting principle. Uh, when you are obedient to the will of God, there will be people who are around you who think you are crazy. Yes. Um, Jesus shared this too. This was not something that was novel or new for him. Um, even those people who were around, who went out to go seize him, thought he was crazy. So with that as a backdrop, because what we have seen so far in Mark is these great crowds flocking to him, people going to him to be healed, this people just chasing him down, but everybody wasn't a fan. Okay? And you can almost get the feeling that, man, he was just like the most popular guy at school, except for the Pharisees, and they're just jerks, right? So you kind of write them off. But this isn't specifically Pharisees. So there were more than just the Pharisees who didn't like him. I want to make sure that we get that, and we get that early as we go through Mark. And this is pretty consistent as we go through. So, big deep breath, transition to the big next section. So, verse 22. And the scribes came down. All right. So there is, in the New Testament, all sorts of... Uh, geographically heavy language that tells us like where we are geographically. Um, does anybody know uh, topologically uh, how Jerusalem sits? Yeah, you, you got to go up and up and up and up and up and up and up to get to Jerusalem. In, in one of the Gospels, does anybody remember which one it is? They were going up and they were going up and they were going up and they were going up as they uh, came into Jerusalem. But every once in a while, the people who are up come down to see what's going on. Right? And if you were a scribe in Jerusalem, you were at the top of the scribal food chain. You were the best. You weren't a scribe that was assigned to some uh, low country out in the wilderness. You were the best. So the scribes came down from Jerusalem, and they were saying, and this is imperfect, so they've been saying this. So how would they have known about Jesus? What's that? Word of mouth. Yeah, word of mouth, absolutely. Word spreads when people do amazing things. So they were saying, and when were they saying it? Had they met him yet? Okay. Here's another principle for us. Some people will dislike Jesus before they even meet him. And it shouldn't astonish us when this happens. Because the message of repentance and faith is very, very uh, confronting to sin. Okay? So they were saying, he is possessed. Now... What you follow this with matters greatly. Because if you said he is possessed by the Holy Spirit, ding, 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 we have a winner. (laughs) That is really good theology. But they literally went the opposite direction. He is possessed by Beelzebul. 
And I highlighted the definition there for you. It's one of the names of Satan. And it means the dung god. So I hope you finished your breakfast already. But um, So if I think about the opposite, like whatever substance on the earth that is the opposite of the holiness of God, poop. Right? Right? He's like, that didn't... If you think back to the Levitical directions to the priests about how often they had to clean and how often they had to clean and how often they had to wash and how their clothes had to be, there was no part where they said, and if you have a little bit of poop on you, you're okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is, this is not acceptable. So to say, right? I mean, this is, this is how my mind works here. So to say that he is possessed, he is owned, he is governed and dictated and driven by Satan. This is serious language. And by the prince of demons, or the first of demons, he casts out the demons. Which I think I touched on last week really makes no sense whatsoever, right? And Jesus is going to explain to them their uh, fallacy of their logic because it's just it's really horrible. So verse 23 And he called them, and this is another one of the reasons why I don't believe that word for call that we looked at last week where he calls the apostles is is this singularly magical word that's used to invite people to follow Jesus uh, for the rest of their lives because it just means to call them. He he uses it here. He called them to to him and said to them, in parables. Now, if you are not opposed to writing in your Bible, this word will help you immensely uh, come to a closer understanding of what is going on with this particular text. Because he is talking to them in parables. Let's look at the definition for parable. A similitude or a symbolic fictitious narrative of common life conveying a moral uh, apothegm, 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 or adage. Anybody know how to, sp- how to pronounce apothegm? Is that it? Sounds good? We've got a thumbs up. All in favor, say aye. All opposed by like sign. Good. All right, we'll go with apothegm. I have no idea. Um, so he spoke to them in parables. So what he's about to say is a what? Yay. Okay, great. Let's just make sure we're all on the same page. And then he does what? He asks a question. So how can, the word for can, don't turn the page yet, the word for can is the word dunama. Uh, it's, a, it's a variation on dunamis where we get our uh, ability or power. So how can, how, how can uh, Satan, how can Satan be powerful? How can he have the power to uh, cast out Satan? Does this make sense? How can Satan cast out Satan? It's a great question. Every once in a while, Jesus just uses pure logic on these folks. But again, we're in parable space, so let's be careful. Verse 24, if a kingdom is divided, this is the subjunctive, so this is the possibility. So if it's possible for a kingdom to be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot. Now, this is no power. That kingdom does not have the power to what? Stand. Does this make sense? Yes. If we were living out this verse, a kingdom is divided against itself, what does that look like in uh, national geopolitical language? Civil war. That's exactly right. 
It looks like civil war. It looks like one side versus the other, and they go to war to the point that that nation crumbles. Right? We good? Okay. So you see how this is a picture? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And, so you another question, and if a house is divided, again, this is subjunctive, if a house is divided, uh, flip over to 641. You may still be there, actually. I want you to see where this word else shows up in Mark, because it shows up four times in Mark, once in verse 24, 25, and 26 in chapter 3, and then one more time. So if you think this, this is some kind of a metaphysical division, it's not. In 641, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves. That's the word divided. It means to separate into parts. Okay, Super, super simple word. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able, again, no power, will not be able to stand. So he's talked about this from the national level. He's talked about this at the local level, at like the individual house. Verse 26, And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot, I didn't highlight them, but it's no power, stand. And this is where I love the verbs. You ready? But is coming. What is that? That's a present what? Indicative. That is a statement of fact from the perspective of the speaker. And when Jesus Christ is the speaker, and when he uses an indicative, that is going to happen. And this is where I go, yes, this is good news. Because that kingdom is coming to an end. And the end just means there's a point where there's a limit. It's, a, it's actually a math term where the things come down and they stop. Uh, the conclusion of an act or a state. So we've talked about this kingdom cannot stand, this house cannot stand, and then Satan cannot stand. All right? And then Jesus does what Jesus typically does, which is turns directions just a little bit. Because we've been talking about things not standing. And then he talks about a strong man entering a house and plundering. And that is where we will start next week. Because we are now out of time. Ha ha. Excellent. So, what I want you to think about this week is why does he transition this way in verse 27? Because there's some significance to that. And then what in the world is he talking about in 28 through 30? Because there's a whole lot of significance to that. So we'll start with verse 27. So on the back side on page, uh, what is it? Page 91 of your handout, you're one blank. Next week we'll start with Mark 3, 27. 3, 27. Excellent. So we got through 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26 today. Seven verses in one Sunday. Oh, yeah. Some of y'all didn't think we could do it. You know what I say to that? Nope, we can. 
<laughs> it's the slowest burn joke of the year, just like that. Excellent. All right. So at your tables, you should have a weekly update. Uh, I would strongly encourage you that you lean in and engage. Uh, pray over those. Once your table has finished praying over those, you are dismissed to go and worship the one who pronounces indicatives that are always true because he is the God-man Jesus Christ. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.